Good afternoon. Thank you so much for being with us on this Tuesday. Hope you're having a great day. We are going to talk education and some more questions about what exactly the start of the school year is going to look like for students in BC. A lot of teachers, a lot of parents, a lot of caregivers still have many, many questions. Many for the education minister, so we will see where things stand right now. Also coming up on the program, if you didn't win yesterday, there will be another opportunity to win a four-pack of tickets to the Vancouver Aquarium. They've brought in some new measures to make it safe to be at the aquarium, so keep listening, and I will give you more details on when you can call in and answer some very easy trivia questions to win the passes to the aquarium. And air travel in this country, Air Canada, one of the major airlines, making some big changes for its loyalty plan members. We are going to talk about that coming up this hour as well. But first, let's take a look at what we know about the school year starting up just a few weeks from now. Tracy Sherlock joins me on the line, a freelance journalist who regularly writes about education on her blog, Education Matters. Tracy Sherlock, Thank you so much for being with us. Oh, thank you for having me. Uh, It seems like the education minister is now hinting at perhaps a a, a bit of a staged return to school or a bit of a delay that it won't be everybody back all at once. What do we know or, or what are you hearing as far as what the return to school is going to look like? Okay, so I haven't heard anything about a staged return to school. Um, Perhaps I missed that, but but what I heard uh, based on the announcement and everything up to this morning was that it'll be full-time in-school return with the teachers asking for the return to be pushed back by a couple weeks to fine-tune all the details and things. Um, but that I hadn't heard that that's being um, that that's happening. Sure. Sorry, I didn't mean to put you on the spot there. And, <laughs> and, and to be honest, I was just getting that from uh, Richard Zussman Reports, uh, who's our global reporter in, uh, in Victoria. Richard was tweeting earlier today saying that, and again, I think this is what's frustrating to a lot of people, is that there were these hints that perhaps there will be more of a, or that it's, it's working on, on the school plan and that it could be, it could be more staggered, not, not everybody back. But again, that's one of these questions that so many people are really looking for answers. I certainly wouldn't be surprised to see that happen because not only the teachers but the principals and vice principals have also asked for a delay in having the kids come back so that they can fine-tune the, the details. Um, Premier Horgan did say they're, they're going to keep working on the plan and it, it, it's going to be flexible and it'll be fine-tuned. He said that last week, so I certainly wouldn't be surprised to see some changes happening. And do you think that, that parents have enough information at this point, too, as far as what it will actually look like with students in classrooms, whether some will be wearing masks if they choose to, others, how close they'll be to other students and such? I think right now that's a big concern for parents is that they don't have all of the information. And I also think that the health authority like Dr. Bonnie Henry would tell the parents, let's wait for the schools to give out the detailed information of how it's going to work before we panic. Um, Because August 26th, schools are supposed to come out with a more detailed plan of what their specific situation will be. And I I think the government's hoping that will ease parents' worries. And I'm sure parents are hoping that too. Uh, which uh, seems uh, it seems like that's really close to the beginning of school, that even if that is uh, the most detailed plan and that's when all of, of these or some of the answers will be given, that's really close to the actual start of the school year. It sure is, especially if you're, you want to make alternate arrangements 
for your child based on the plan. Yeah, it is very close to the start of the school year. And remember, too, that um, teachers don't actually start back to work until the day after Labor Day, so it's very sudden for them. And um, many school administrators are also on holiday over the summer, not the entire summer, but, but part of it. So that's very, very close to the beginning for them as well. Uh, and are you hearing concerns from people as well that, uh, and even Dr. Henry has said, we will expect that there will be cases of COVID-19. We know that in going back into this type of reopening, there will be cases. Uh, do you get the sense that people are confident then on what happens if there is a case and exposure at a school? No, I don't get the sense that they're confident about that. And she has said very clearly that if um, transmission is low in the community, it will be low in schools, you know, but if transmission is high in the community, there's going to be cases in schools. And right now our transmission is going up, you know, we're averaging around 50 cases a day. And I don't think parents feel confident about what will happen if there is a case in school. And I know they're concerned that the plan doesn't call for mandatory masks. And I understand why it doesn't, but it's a concern for parents and why class sizes are not smaller so that there can be adequate distance between students within their learning group. Although I've seen arguments on both sides of that, too, when we talk about masks for students and for children and some making the argument that, oh, it can be traumatizing for kids or you don't get the buy-in from kids. But on the flip side of that, too, I I mean, I see kids wearing masks in public and it almost seems in some cases, too, uh, kids are are more more able to change and embrace things. And if wearing a a cool mask is part of going to school, it, it might just be part of going to school. Kids are definitely adaptable. And Dr. Bonnie Henry did um, point to that yesterday when she said, parents, you know, you should start socializing your child to get used to wearing a mask. And it's true. They can adapt to anything. So, yeah, if you're going to the grocery store, bring your child, get them to wear a mask, try it out. It's, it won't be good if we leave that to the teachers to have to enforce that for sure. And so August 26th, do you think that looks like the date or do we anticipate that we'll get any more information or more clarity on this before then? That feels like a long ways away. It does. Um, I mean, when it's your summer holiday, though, it feels very short. (laughs) It'll be here in the blink of an eye. I'm sure that this is going to continue to evolve as the summer goes on. Pretty much a guarantee. All right. We'll leave it there for today. Tracy, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. We are actually going to talk a little travel. And if you are somebody who is an Aeroplan member, you likely got an email talking about some big changes coming to Aeroplan come November. Well, who better to talk about this than Claire Newell, president and founder of Travel Best Bets. And Claire is on the line with me now. Thanks so much for being with us. Oh, thanks for having me, Jill. I was actually pretty excited about this. And I'm sure that about the 5 million members that are all part of Aeroplan will be um, probably quite excited about some of the changes. So I'm a very avid user of Aeroplan, and I've tried all different points programs. Um, But some of the things, even though I think it's one of the better programs out there, that kind of bothered me. And I think they're addressing them in some of the changes. Um, One of the things that's really important to know is that if you have a credit card that is TD, CIBC, um, Visa, or American Express that has those loyalty programs, it's not going to change. So that's really good news. Um, you don't have to go out and get another credit card. There was talk of that if you didn't have one of the member banks. So, And that's going to be good until at least 
2030, so a good 10 years. Um, the other thing is that it will be automatic. So it'll be automatically transferred into the new program. Um, and you know how we interchange um, points and miles and all of that type of thing? Mm-hmm. They're going to officially call them Aeroplan Points. <laughs> which is good. <laughs> um, now, for um, some of the things that uh, always bothered me with the program were that you couldn't access every seat. So if you didn't, you know, get those maybe two seats that were business class in New York City 10 months out, you may not ever get them. So now you actually have access to every seat on Air Canada and no restrictions. So that's really nice. Um, but what will happen though is that it will be pre- um, predictable pricing. So instead of, you know, sometimes when you saw that it was say $50,000 to redeem a certain flight route. Now, um, I used to compare, I'd look at 50,000 points and then I'd look at the price and I'd be like, you know what? It's super cheap right now. I'm not going to use my points, not 50,000 of them when I can get the ticket for say, you know, 250 bucks. So now the um, amount of points that are redeemed actually will follow the market pricing. So that's kind of bad if you have, you know, um, a time period that's very, very busy because as you get, you know, people book, the price goes up. So as there's more demand, the price will go up. Um, but it's something to, you know, to keep in mind. And it will benefit a lot of people, especially if you are one of those people who book well in advance. One of the things that's really great is that for now that we have access to every Air Canada flight without restrictions, there's not going to be those blackouts that were quite annoying for many people who wanted to use their points over the holidays. You know, there was usually those mm-hmm. big blackouts over Christmas <laughs> and over New Year's. That's not going to be the case. Um, and they're still adding all sorts of great um, hotel partners. They've just added Azul, which is a really great hotel partner. And they've added uh, another airline, Etihad Airways. There's now 35 airlines that are part of it. So if you've never thought of be, being part of the Aeroplan program, this might be some good incentives to actually to, to join or to look at at, le- at least. It does seem like such a, a turnaround. And I know we're talking about this at a strange time when we're not really traveling internationally and don't know when we will again. But remember when, when they announced they were leaving Star Alliance, there were a lot of people, myself included, thinking, okay, well, I should probably look for a different rewards program. Me I don't know too. what the future of this thing's going to look like. But have they, so have they fixed that? They have, and that's the key here, is that this is a terrible, terrible time for the airlines. And you did, you did point out it's not a great time to be talking about this kind of stuff when we can't even travel. But at the end of the day, they see this is really important, actually now more than ever, because they're going to have to really compete to earn and retain customer loyalty as things improve. Um, one other feature that I did want to mention to people is that, again, always bothered me that my husband would collect some points and I would collect some points. And if either of us didn't have enough, we couldn't use them. You know, we couldn't combine them. And now you can share points for families. So that's a really great thing. Oh, yeah. Really, really great thing. Yeah. One of the other things that bugged me, and you mentioned this too on the market pricing, is that there would be times when, and I remember once trying to book a flight to Europe, and the taxes on the Aeroplan flight were almost the same amount as what the price of the ticket would be if I just bought the ticket. And it was annoying yes. because I was thinking, well, why, why, again, like you, why would I spend 50,000 point pl- miles or 80,000 miles and still pay the same price as if I was just going to buy myself a ticket? And have they changed that? 
Well, they have said that surcharges will be eliminated, and they mention one in particular, which is fuel surcharge. But it does still say in the, you know, the fine print that members will pay only for taxes and third-party fees. So there are still going to be some of those surcharges. So I'd like to play around once this comes out, which is not until November the 8th of this year, um, and, and see. So that is, in my mind, a little bit of a question. You know, I, it's they they say maybe not, and it did bother me as well. I, I remember redeeming, you know, 100,000 points and still having to pay like two grand in taxes for my family to, to go away. So um, that is something that we'll have to kind of dig in. I don't feel comfortable saying, yeah, they're going to be gone and it's, you know, they're still not going to be astronomical amounts because I think that we will still have to pay those taxes. They don't disappear. Um, another thing that's kind of, do we have enough? Do we have much time? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Cause I don't want to, um, I mean, there's lots of interesting things to this whole um, program, uh, but I just didn't realize how much time we had, but we, you can actually now use your points to upgrade your flight. So if you've bought a flight in cash and you decide, you know, I kind of think I want to splurge now and go premium economy. If there's availability, you can use your points for that. And you couldn't previously, which is really nice. Um, and the other thing, do you know when you have almost enough and you're so mad, you're like, geez, I could, oh, I just, I just almost had enough with other programs. You were able to actually pay the difference and not with aeroplane. And now you can. Which makes sense, too, because if other programs were doing this, like like we've been talking about, they, they're hurting. They need to make it uh, attractive and they need to, to entice people, I would think, to come back and travel. Yeah, and this looks at a lot of other programs that I, I mean, obviously, this is kind of what I do and I love to, to see what's out there. And I do look at the other programs and they've basically taken the best of those programs, even as little details um, that now you can, as a member of Aeroplan, you can use your points for extras like the Wi-Fi or you want to get into the Maple Leaf Lounge or you want to, to use your points for, for the little things. You can now. And that never was the case. You'd always have to pay. Here's your credit card. And so, yeah, I, I feel like they've they've t- taken a look at all of the plans out there and just kind of put them into their own. And it's a really great loyalty feature uh, moving forward for the airline. I think it's going to be a real feather in their cap moving forward. Of course, again, it's not coming out until November the 8th. And I'm a huge, avid user of Aeroplan. So I'm going to test this myself for, you know, my next flights once that program is up and running. And if I run into some hiccups, I will be certainly sharing them with you, Jill. <laughs> well, and, and November 8th, do you think it's uh, that's a key date in that they're hoping that people will come back and there will be travel pickup, I would imagine, for Christmas or that we'll get back into some some sense that people are getting back on planes? I think so. I mean, I, obviously, they probably have some things that they've got to iron out as far as the logistics of the, the programming for this. But it also will hopefully be a time that we see. I mean, my fingers are crossed because last week on Thursday, out of nowhere, the um, U.S. took away their overarching, kind of the all-encompassing travel advisory to travel anywhere outside of the U.S. And they're looking at each country um you know, whether those countries want the U.S. in there or not is one thing if they want the tourists. But Canada still has that big overarching travel advisory. And we're law-abiding citizens here. And we kind of listen to our government. <laughs> and so um, I hope that, you know, that will, that the overarching ban will be lifted. It's not a ban. It's an advisory. You can right. still travel. Um, but once that's lifted, I think that people will really start to 
to travel, and many of them who haven't been able to use their points and have been, you know, spending on their credit card and collecting them will probably want a little bit of a getaway. So taking a look at some of the numbers, and a new study shows that the Canadian restaurant industry could face a $20 billion loss over a year due to COVID, due to the shutdown and the limited return when it comes to restaurants. And not only that, it's also having to do with the habits that people have changed, whether it's working from home and buying and preparing more food. Well, to talk about this, let's bring in Janet Music, Program Coordinator at the School of Information Management at Dalhousie University. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Uh, tell me a bit more about this study, taking a look at the Canadian restaurant industry and, and I guess some of the changes and the changes that have been a bit negative for the industry. Yeah, well, it's interesting, you know. Um, I also, in addition to working for the School of Information Management, I do a lot of research in food with the Agri-Food Analytics Lab, and we tend to look at food prices. But just before Christmas, we asked Canadians, you know, how they were going to make new food resolutions. So this was in December, and about 60% of them said they were going to spend less time eating out at restaurants and cooking, you know, cooking at home. Uh, You know... I don't think anyone had predicted global pandemic would force them to be at home and not out at restaurants, uh, but it's really taken uh, hold. And so we would see, I think, before the pandemic, about 40% of our food dollars spent in food service, so restaurants, coffee shops, etc. And at the peak of the pandemic, uh, that was down to just under 10%. So it's really had uh, impacts in the restaurant industry. But I think going forward, what is you know most alarming is the uncertainty. So our study did find about 25% of people are working from home, but about 40% don't know where they're going to be this time next year. So how that's going to play out in the restaurant industry, you know, there's going to be some impacts and they're probably going to be negative. And, and did you get the sense when that, that those changes, whether it's working from home, buying food and cooking more, is it, is it because of a lack of income maybe or, or that shift? Or is it because people are still uncertain about going to, restaur- to restaurants or perhaps frightened of going to restaurants and possible COVID exposure? Yeah, yeah, we did. um, We did certainly ask Canadians that at the end of May. So still pretty peak uh, COVID information, you know, misinformation, not sure what the information is. Should we wear masks? Should we not wear masks? What is actually going to help us? Are we going to catch COVID from our groceries? So, you know, when we polled Canadians to see, you know, if they were comfortable going back to restaurants, over half of them weren't, and they were waiting for a vaccine. So that's a significant amount of people who are just unsure of, you know, what it means to go to a restaurant. So, you know, here in Nova Scotia, we have pretty uh, stringent rules. So 14 days isolation from out of province and mandatory masks indoors. And that includes restaurants. So you put on your mask, you go into the restaurant, you can take it off while you're at your table. But if you go to the washroom, you have to put your mask back on. So, you know, people are taking it seriously, and I think they're being really cautious. But at the same time, that has large-scale repercussions for other Canadians, of course, because they're employed in that industry. And so, you know, a $20 billion revenue loss, that's also a significant amount of job loss. 
Uh, absolutely. And it's also, I mean, you look at it on one hand, and I think probably a lot of people didn't realize or maybe willfully didn't look at how much money we were spending on coffee and going to restaurants and eating out. And then when forced to, to, to stop doing that during the pandemic, uh, suddenly, if you still had a job and you were still in the same financial situation, maybe realized, oh, I don't actually have to spend that much money, which might be great for your personal finances. But uh, then we're getting to that number, as you said, the $20 billion loss. That's right. And I don't think we should undersell what it is that restaurants actually bring to our society, right? So, you know, as a young parent, many people spend their one date night a, a month out at a restaurant. It's it's where we bring family and friends from out of town. It's where we do celebrations. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So restaurants do serve this kind of social a meeting place or a place of social cohesion for people to get together. Um, and it, it's lovely. It's a, it's a lovely atmosphere in a lot of places. And, you know, it would be a shame to lose those things forever. So, you know, I'm hoping that this is just a temporary uh, blip in the road and then we get back to, you know, spending time in restaurants and being out with our fellow Canadians, whether we know them or not, right? Uh, yeah, and I mean, maybe there is that the potential when we talk about the shift of people working from home, that if you are working from home and uh, you're still employed, if you're saving money, say, on, on transit or, or gas for commuting, if you're saving money in some other areas, maybe it does open it up that when things settle down a little bit more, you do go back. Maybe you go to a different restaurant because you're now in your neighborhood, you're not in the the district where maybe your office was, but maybe you do go back in that sense. Yeah, and I I think we'll see that. I think we'll see, you know, how it is now with restaurants are in the downtown core that service the office economy, right? So you have a lot of little interesting little lunch counters that only operate from 10 in the morning until 3 in the afternoon. And so maybe we'll see, uh, you know, what we would call a recalibration of what restaurants uh, actually are, where they operate. Maybe they'll be out in the suburbs more and not just chains, but mom and pop shops or these kind of unique restaurants that cater to different people, not just office workers. So there's absolutely that opportunity to do that, to see change. And so what that looks like in the long run, it's hard to say. In the short run, certainly it's been painful for a lot of people. But then we also see things like ghost kitchens uh, starting to pop up in more uh, areas. And so a ghost kitchen is a commercial kitchen without a front of house seating. So same caliber or quality of food, uh, but it's just takeout. So it's a ghost kitchen and an app. So you're not paying for the server, but you are paying for the food. And then also we're seeing chefs actually doing home catering. So you're having a larger dinner party and you have a chef come right into your home. That's not as accessible to most people, I would say. But it is an interesting kind of um, uh, something that's coming out of the pandemic that wasn't something thought of before the pandemic. But I would never want to see ghost kitchens taking over, you know, a regular uh, restaurant kind of experience because a server is the person that can make or break your evening, right? So mm-hmm. a really good server can overcome mediocre food. So <laughs> it, it and so it's this kind of relationship where we get to go out and and talk to people and be with other people. And so that's really the value aside from the economic value that restaurants really bring to our cities.
All right. We'll leave it there for today. Janet, thanks so much for joining us, though, to talk more about this. I appreciate it. Absolutely. We were just talking about the major losses being seen at many restaurants right across the country. That was a new study that was released out of Dalhousie University. But one of the other issues we're encountering, and thankfully it's not happening all that much, but there have been videos that have gone viral of people with unacceptable behavior directed towards food servers, directed toward people in the service industry. So much so that the BC Restaurant and uh, the BC uh, Restaurant and Food Association has actually launched a campaign aimed at getting people to make sure they are respecting people who work at restaurants. And President and CEO of the BC Restaurant and Food Association, Ian Tostenson, is with me again today. Ian, thanks so much for being here. Hey, Jill. How you doing? Great. How are you? Good, thank you. Uh, it's pretty sad that we have to have a campaign saying, if you can't follow the rules, please don't come to a restaurant. But it is. It's out there because of these uh, few cases. Uh, that, what, what is your response when you've seen some of the, these viral videos? Well, the guy in the shoe, in the shoe shop, that, that guy was, uh, I think most, most everybody's seen it. Uh, Global uh, played it a few nights ago. And this is where the, um, the guy went off and the, uh, the gentleman owned the Asian restaurant. It was completely unacceptable. It was insane. I've never seen anything like it. So he's become the poster child for how not to be. And so we quite clearly said, and it's really hard for us to say these kind of things, but, you know, if you don't want to follow by the rules, which are really simple, then stay home because we don't want you and we don't need you. And the people in restaurants that are going out that are enjoying themselves, the frontline staff that, um, you know, are providing that service in in, in the in the pandemic world that we're in right now, we don't need that. And there's been incidences. You're right, Jill. It's not, you know, it's not widespread, but we've seen it in Victoria and Kamloops and Kelowna where some guy came off because he couldn't seat seven people at his table. And people just have to realize, and the majority do, um, you know, we're trying to do this in a way that is safety for the public. So the second part of this campaign, um, which is stand up for service where we're encouraging the public to nominate those businesses and those servers that are doing an excellent job so we can celebrate the positive side of this and you know and uh, and not focus too much on the on the bizarre activities of as demonstrated by that guy in the shoe swap <laughs> And and that's true. And, and it's, uh, I suppose, a good thing that that is not the norm. That's somebody who, I mean, he, who even knows the backstory and what, what led to yeah. that, that happening. But it is nice to, to focus on the positive as more and more people are becoming more comfortable going back to restaurants and, and getting out there and supporting them. Well, yeah. And, you know, remember that the, the, you know, we're all in this trying to figure this out. And, um, you know, it's, the rules are pretty simple. You're taken to your table, no more than six. The table's six feet apart from the next table, and there's no table hopping. And, you know, apart from that, go have fun. I mean, just, you know, where you go, and it's working in most cases. But the servers, uh, the serving staff tend to be younger, and, you know, they're trained in, in providing service and hospitality, not becoming, um, you know, people that have to deal with stressed out people. We get that. I know a lot of people are stressed over covid and it's hard to navigate it all the time. You have to watch this and watch that, do a wear a mask and stuff. We're trying to make the experience in a restaurant great. That's why, you know, if you really don't feel comfortable or you're not sure of the rules um, and you don't want to abide by them and just, you know, come another time. But in the meantime, we've got, you know, really good success coming right now uh, with the restaurants. But as you know, Jill, we're at, you know, just over 50% capacity. So, you know, we've got to make sure that we don't lose that and go backwards. Otherwise, 
those losses that we're having in Canada right now, the restaurant industry will just get worse. And when you talk about that too, and, and using that video as the extreme case, but you also mentioned the rules, and these are health official rules of the six people for table. I think that's something too, in that I'm sure servers are constantly having to tell people, like you said, you're not allowed to table hop. Don't put seven people at a table and think that it's okay because it's just one more, because it's the servers, it's that restaurant's business that's on the line. Well, and exactly. And then what happens is we get calls, uh, which is great. And we, if we get anyone, if anybody wants to contact us about a restaurant, they don't think is doing it right, let us know. We'll follow up with the restaurant. But it just makes everybody uncomfortable. And, you know, it makes other patrons uncomfortable. And they'll think, well, if the restaurant's going to sort of go with seven people there and, and uh, don't seem to care about table hopping, you know, what kind of restaurant is this? And so it's so important that we set the pace. In fact, Last week, we sent out uh, a note to industry saying our recommendation, this is not uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Henry, but um, our recommendation for every restaurant is to wear masks because that's the expectation of the public. So the public were going in saying, well, they didn't have a mask, but they did, so they may not be doing it right. Well, they are doing it right. So we're trying to clean this up. It's taking a while, obviously, but uh, we're, making, we're getting there. And you know, the good weather in the patios, uh, there's some good things that are going our way right now. So... Um, you know, I think it's in a way the guy in the shoe swap, uh, he's really sort of made it evident that we've got to watch ourselves and no one wants to be in that situation like he's got himself in right now. So, yeah. And even uh, I'm sure people, uh, like you said, it's 50 percent capacity in a lot of places. There are lineups. It does take longer to get into a place that patience really is key. And there's just no point. I mean, servers, unfortunately, take the brunt of this in non-pandemic times. It's just there's just no excuse to be rude to somebody, especially now. Well, uh, exactly. I mean, what just because we're a little bit stressed out here doesn't give everybody a sense to go in and just rail on some server or, 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 you know, rules that they don't understand or don't want to understand. It's not their right to do that. Our right is to provide that safe and enjoyable place. And in fact, we're seeing people that are kind of enjoying this distancing in restaurants and having a bit more privacy and some plexiglass. Most people are saying, I had a really wonderful experience. It was a bit more private and a bit more quiet. And so... Um, you know, our big challenge now will be how we deal in the fall um, with patios. And in fact, we're having this creative conversation with the city of Vancouver about maybe winter patios, which is kind of cool. <laughs> and, um, you know, the whole takeout service and making sure that stays strong, et cetera, because once the patios close, that's, you know, that's going to be really tough for restaurants to, to, um, to, to have sales according to the, the limited capacity. But it's been really an interesting journey, and uh, I'm really proud of our industry to what they've done so quickly. And, you know, I I just reminded myself last week, Joe, restaurants seem to be the the face of all the things people see what they should be doing by the way restaurants are doing it. So masks and social distancing and washing hands and all those things are things that it's our responsibility to demonstrate that beyond reproach to set an example for, you know, the public at large. All right. We'll leave it there for today. Ian, thanks so much. Always good to talk with you. Uh, Thanks, Jill. Have a great day.